Feeling tired at the gaming table? Want to hear foul-mouthed jackasses poke fun at gaming companies when they screw up? Want an honest, street-level opinion from a team of gamers that call it like it is? Then Blunt Force Gamers may be the podcast for you. Listener discretion advised. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and gamers of all ages, it is us. Yeah, the Blunt Force Gamers sitting here roasting our balls off for your enjoyment. Oh my god, I am Game Goblin. Of course, I should hope. Otherwise, I've been severely deceived. Sitting alongside me is my two co-hosts. Darth Blasphemous, hail to the dark side. Kazakhan, Little Lord Dragon. And this week, we are going to delve into the deepest, darkest, dingiest dungeons. Most despicable and despotic as we decide and deliberate and give discourse while we disseminate over what potential ways we can make our encounters as game masters more engrossing, engaging, and altogether fun. Thinking outside the box, Combat 101, 102. I'd call this a 103. Oh, 103, sure. Because we, like, we've, we've touched on, you know, smart adversaries, smart villains. Like, we've we've brought that up in the past, so this is not the first. Well, this is really more of a, a low levels. These are the, how many ways can you play skeletons? Yes, peace. through superior villainy. types of adversaries do you use? How do you play them smartly? Do they run away when, like, the random number generator chooses dies. Well, let's uh, start with the very rote basics uh, to set the first footnote here. And of course, that would be with everybody's least favorite adversary because it's been so fucking overdone for the last two decades is zombies. First, we began with the shamblers. Slow moving, easy to fucking expunge on their own. Oh, look, it's a zombie. I'm so scared. I'll just light it on fire and then outwalk it. And then as the zombie genre has grown and expanded over the last few years, now we've got shamblers, we've got runners, we've got the infected bleeders, we've got the crazy-ass ones that twitch even though their bodies have been dismembered. Then you've got the mutant zombies, you've got the uh, oversized, massive (coughs) goliath zombies... Bloaters, exploders, bloaters, exploders, snipers, snipers. zombie fucking snipers, Jesus, voters, voters, (laughs) pizza crimpers, flight attendants, Mm -hmm. all of which have different stats, nurses, dead lives matter, yes, (laughs) equality for the living impaired. But besides that, the really the fun part is with zombies. Is I remember growing up as a kid, zombies were always a magical thing. So it was like, oh, and the curse brought the dead to life. And now almost every way you see it in social media and people gaming, it's a disease. It's never like a curse from the gods. I grew up with zombies being like a military chemical that was supposed to be uh, kept in containers, but that's... Because I was a Romero fan. Mm. Yeah. And I don't give a shit what anybody says, but in Night of Living... Let's see, Dawn of the Dead... Living Dead 3, uh, the chick they had playing the, the zombie chick in that one, no, like, yeah. After she, like, starts putting all the glass and skin in her, in her fucking skin because the pain keeps her human. Mm-hmm. Damn. 
She was gorgeous. Like, it's kind of like, you know, when you get a boner looking at a Cenobite and you're like, maybe I'm a little fucked up. Yeah. Yep. But this is, of course, uh, what we're going to go on as uh, Game Mastery goes, is I, as a Game Master, can introduce zombies into my game. And if it's by the book Zombies, chances are my players have fought them before. Mm-hmm. If I throw skeletons into my game, chances are my players have fought them before. It's kind of boring. If it's... I throw goblins or kobolds into my game, chances are if I do it by the book, the players have seen this shit before, they're going to get bored with combat. Unless I pull something new and unusual out of my ass. Because, you know, oh, it's a CR one-third. Let me just waffle stomp it with two good swings. Bap, bap, down. Next. Right. It, in straight combat, a lot of adversaries are not great. Well, but they have other survival means, and it's your job as a GM to exploit those. Well, let, let's take this as a point of example here. If I were to bring skeletons into the game by the book right now, Guaranteed, there's one player at the table, if not more, but guaranteed you'll have at least one who will look at the skeleton and be like, all right, everybody, use blunt weapons. Even if they're playing a character who has no encounters with the undead in their backstory, their class is not related to undead whatsoever, they, they have no reason to know this. But just... One motherfucker... It becomes such common knowledge. Or, or the um, typical use healing spells against undead to cause damage to them. You know, you got the, the cleric who's like, oh, I'll cast heal on the the, uh, the skeleton. The cleric has a bit more leeway with this, you know, because maybe They're... it was in their training and teachings. They followed the sun god who hates undead. All right, so they might have read a couple of books about this back at the uh, cathedral. That, it, like, it makes a little bit more sense for your your divine caster, regardless of bent, to be like, you know, my dude, my dude on high, he's not a big fan of the undead, so I I learned a little bit. But you're guaranteed that if you bring in a creature, somebody's going to know their weakness right off the bat and they try to exploit it. Because someone sat there and read the fucking bestiary. No, because the they've done it before, over and over and over. It's like orcs. Yeah. It's not a D&D game until you unleash 10,342 orcs on the player uh, group. With a plus six against dwarves, because they have an ancient grudge. Yes, yes. (laughs) Plus six against dwarves. So, the idea is, how do we change this shit up to make it interesting and still fair and balanced? One of my favorites is the reassembling skeletons. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which is like straight out of a Harryhausen movie. You know, you got your party, they whack a skeleton, they're like, yay, we've done it, we've killed the skeleton, and then the bones start reassembling, and they're like, fuck. Variants add that extra level of spice to the game that is just, it touches me right in the giblies. <laughs> I love it. Or I love how it about I... zombies where if you deal enough damage to them, now they go from being a walking proper zombie to a crawling zombie. Yeah, you can do that, totally. Phase two. Phase right? two. And... This is a thing with most undead creatures. Undead are, typically in a fantasy setting, magically created and maintained. Therefore, it's not hard to think that your necromancer goes, you know, skeletons are terribly frail on their own. They don't really have anything to protect them. So I'm going to do a little bit extra so my investment of time and energy is actually worth something. I'm sorry, dude. I just fucking... When you said magically maintain, the first thought is like a skeleton 
in like a workshop up on a hydraulic lift with a mechanic standing under. They go, well, the bone meal's a little low. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I just thought of something devious to do with skeletons. Ooh. Grapple skeletons. Hmm? Yeah? They literally try and encumber you to the point of, you know... Basically just body mass pile of... The crushing weight, yeah. Yeah, just the sheer weight of them. And you could even do, like, it's been enchanted so it becomes, like, living bone armor to try and restrict your movements, and it's an insane grapple check. Yeah, the the route I go, I've done it once, is I did Mm -hmm. armor-plated skeletons, where the bones were uh, reinforced, like you would reinforce uh, stonework. So you were fighting fucking wolverine skeletons. Well, not exactly. I mean, it was a normal skeleton, but it was just a lot harder to fucking kill. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was basically an endurance fight. Uh, the same thing goes with, say, like, kobolds. You know, there's always variants of those. They've done variants of goblins and gremlins, uh, where you have, like, electrified ones, and you got psychic ones. And, you know, that's one of the things that you uh, a GM needs to bring in, is a bit of variation, because otherwise it gets really boring. I mean, you've seen... And, like, with the elves, you know, like, everybody has seen elves. And an elf comes walking out of the forest with the bow, and the player characters go, oh, great, another elf. Until the elf's head splits open, and, like, a three-tentacled non-Euclidean horror comes bursting out of the body, and then you're like, ha a new variant of elves eat a dick. Oh, See, God, oh, God. I always like the idea of the elves, like, in sort of more of a swampy terrain. They're in there like it's fucking Vietnam, and they're the Kong, man. Actually, that would be really fucking devious against a party, especially for the poor rogue. Oh, yeah. Or the dude in plate mail. Yeah, look up uh, traps that they used during the Vietnam War, and yeah, a swamp battle would just be hell. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Especially in a D&D setting where you can't lay down suppression fire. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. And then you have the one ranger who actually picked that, and they are unencumbered in movement. It would finally give, like, some version of Woodland Stride meaning. Some meaning, yeah. Like, uh, I did a Swamp Encounter one time, and I didn't use variants. But again, uh, one of the things that GM also can do, while not having to uh, deviate too far from the book, is I pulled out Troglodytes, because people rarely get to fight those, and they have some really brute abilities, especially on the low end. That stench field is just... It can lock down a combat. Especially if it's a equally balanced combat. And I had troglodytes because they move through swamp water unencumbered. Mm-hmm. They have natural camouflage, especially when submerged. And so I gave them ranged weapons. And so they would pop out of the water, throw spears at the player characters, and then use their last move action to plunk back down underneath the water. Rinse, spit, repeat. Rinse, spit, repeat. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there we go, back. there we go, we got right. sound. Ha-ha! I think it was this triggered, which is weird, because oh. it hasn't done that in a long time. Okay, well, we're, we're having technical difficulties, because, uh, apparently I've angered the troglodyte gods. I mean, by giving them smarts, I don't know if I should praise, or, you know, be concerned for the species of troglodyte if their gods don't want them to be smart. Uh, apparently, um, yeah, because... <laughs> uh, for those of you who are listening, and I will edit some of that crap stuff later, uh, our soundboard died, apparently, because I was talking about troglodytes in a good way. Yeah, I, I think our soundboard is troglodyte racist. Oh, no! Troglodyte lives matter. <laughs> 
yeah, but, uh, that's but the thing. It, it's definitely a fun thing to be able to go and look at those, like, oh, you're you're in a bunch of tunnels and it's a dwarf. Ooh, is it a fucking underdark dwarf or is it a regular dwarf? Ooh. Well, guess what? These dwarves are fucking something else entirely. Enemies in a D&D game, and this is like one of the adages that I read in the book that I totally agree with, enemies need to be scary, and unfortunately things like drow have become so unscary, like uh, your example, I have a group walking in a tunnel and they see an elf with, you know, like dark skin, white hair, strange cobweb pattern all over the armor. This is a point, like back in D&D 2nd edition, the group would see this and freak the fuck out. Mm-hmm. You know, oh god, there's one. There's got to be more. There's got to be more. They're there's, bad. There's, they're nasty. They're, they're bad. They're nasty. You know, there's got to be more. Or is this a scout or a vanguard? What's going on here? And now, when people see a draw, they go, "Well, what color are their eyes? Do yeah. they have a cat friend? Do they have a cat friend? Are they dual wielding swords? Are they katanas? Oh gods! Yeah, that's uh. the only way to make that character worse." Just give them katanas, because then the weebs will totally take it. Like no, 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 if I, if I did something like that, he would show up with a pair of falcatas. <laughs> <laughs> because by the rules, those are a fucking broken weapon. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A weapon of my ancestors. They're, they're, they're gross. Uh, but that's kind of the point I'm trying to make here, is when you introduce an enemy, the players, uh, whether it's a skeleton or an orc or an elf or whatever... As a GM, if you're creative enough, you can keep your players on the toes that when they see something new and unusual, they pause and go, is it worthwhile for us to actually pull our swords and go into combat? Or would this one be better to just close the door and walk away? What horrors will befall us if we walk over there and stab that fucking halfling? Is it a normal halfling? Or is it one of those eldritch spawn motherfuckers? Or is it one of those new racial variants that GM has been looking up, you know... Or what templates are on it? Well, templates is another episode entirely, but yes, templates are a great way to add a versatility to different creatures. Uh, say, For example, say uh, if your realm calls for it, throwing the uh, fiendish template on all undead. Oh, yeah. Maybe there was like some sort of demonic uh, undead incursion of necromancers, and the two sides decided, hey, let's stop fighting each other and work together. And the undead armies were bolstered bolstered through like hellfire or something or or like the the necromancers used fiendish conduits as their methodology and now everything that they make is tainted that way and now that's the only way they undead get passed down or you could totally have an entire place that's all half dragons right everything gets a half dragon template yep well speaking of dragons that's one of the first things i did as a, a gm when i was looking at dragons I really hate the fact they're color-coded. Yeah, it really does suck. I've been dealing with that myself yeah. lately. It's like, oh, we're going to fight a blue dragon. Everybody get on your uh, resist electricity gear. Oh, it's a red dragon. Okay, everybody, we're up Pull for some fire, fire here. Kids. And so, like, I did this to my group, and <laughs> they fucking panicked once they realized what the fuck was going on, because I set it up, there's a black dragon. They go into the swamp, black dragon territory, expecting to fight a black dragon. Uh, except I swapped out the Black Dragon's Acid Breath for Blue Dragon's Lightning Breath. 
And boy, did that get them off guard when I'm like, the dragon rears up for a breath attack, and they're like, okay, it's going to spit acid, everybody shields up, and suddenly everything around the dragon gets electrified. <laughs> including yeah. the players and all the small critters and all the bugs and shit. And they're like, the fuck? And I'm like, it looks blue in the dusk. Or, I mean, it looks black in the dusk. It was a black dragon. It had black dragon resistances. Just blue dragon breath weapon. Because I hate uh, the way they color-coded dragons. So, when I do a dragon, especially when it's the core chromatic or prismatic dragons... Uh, metallic. Metallic, whatever the fuck. They're all prismatic to me. <laughs> yeah. Dragons are all tossers. But anyway. We'll get back to that. Yeah. What about the crystalline dragons? Uh, crystalline, Those are weird enough. Crystalline dragons are weird enough that most players don't encounter them, but when it comes to the standard uh, red, red, blue, blue green, white. white, black, chartreuse dragons... Uh, and then the silver, gold, copper... Bronze and brass. Yeah. Ooh, maybe I should uh, include a beryllium dragon. <laughs> Anybody who knows metallurgy would know how bad that would be. Anyway, um... The thing I hate about the dragons, though, is that the way they color-coded, the players know what to anticipate and expect. It's like if I say you're going to be fighting a tribe of forest elves. The group pretty much already knows to expect ranged weapons, bows, and arrows. If they're going And to possibly treetop villages that they're defending, tree villages, Ewok style. Ewok style. If they're fighting high elves, they expect magic. You know, and people, and maybe like paladin elves and stuff. So, people already have this anticipation, so by adding variation, I'll be like, oh yeah, you're going to go fight a tribe of elves in the forest. What I don't tell them is this tribe of elves in the forest are all actually, you know, got the aberration template. And they're all outcasts from normal elven society who have moved out here because it's the only place where they're not being actively hunted. And now you're now you're stomping in trying to take their home. And now Fuck you're stomping that. in to a bunch of elves who are also half-tentacle monsters. Mm-hmm. Or Ika you know, Ika Yamate. <laughs> or, you know, same scenario, right? Instead of the ranged weapons, they're berserkers. So they're, you know, they're thrown down with like great axes and other big heavy weapons of melee. Because the forest means I can hide behind a tree and my weapon can swing around and hit you. Uh, it's like one of the ones that I was looking at, because uh, I was watching a lot of these videos where people apparently build pools out in the middle of the fucking jungle. Oh, right. <laughs> is, it, yeah. is it the dude who just uses, like, a stick? Yeah, the basically the guys with the, 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 uh, the digging fucking machete thing. But, yeah, they'll dig, like, these, like, underground palaces, and they'll disguise them and build pools and shit. And I was thinking, now, this would be a great idea for forest elves. Oh, yeah. You know. They're not really subterranean. They just dig down into the clay, build their uh, houses, they support the tops, they let all the dead trees and foliage on top. So this would be great. Like, the players walk out there, they have no idea they're walking over people's houses and shit. And if the elves want to attack them, they can just pop out of tunnels at any time. Total guerrilla warfare style. And, you know, they they have plenty of reason, because we all know the motherfuckers that live upstairs, whoever they are, wherever you are, they're always the loud motherfuckers that stomp around. Exactly. <laughs> I can only imagine it's worse when they're stamp- stomping on your roof. Or this could be another example of, uh, again, the GM getting clever with intelligent NPCs. And the only reason the elves live underground like that, you know, like two or three feet below the soil with reinforced tunnels and caves that they dug out of the clay, is because the surface and tree line are too damn dangerous. Bugs. Well, not just bugs, but, you know, large roving creatures and stuff. So they use that as a form of defense. Well, I mean, maybe the tree t- t- too small for the big 
raging motherfucker goes stomping by. Yeah, the so treetop villages—that's just their hydroponic flower gardens. That's it's, where they grow shit. It's up in the tree line, but they actually live on the ground. Because or their shit that yeah. you know lives in the trees. Or the better yet, they're living fucking trees. Exactly. Uh, so throwing There's... in variation like that would throw your players off guard. If they're expecting forest elves to be living in the trees, but instead they're uh, burrowers who live on their ground, that would throw players through a loop. Or if they're super savage elves, they just you know they don't guerrilla warfare all the way. They have gone completely fucking feral in their beliefs and have like gone back to elven roots of like not wearing clothes and tearing your enemies apart with your bare hands. Oh, <clears throat> super savage! Oh yeah, oh yeah, and then just bathing in the intestinal. Crap. Yeah, and bathing in the intestines of your enemies—that would just like throw players off to see elves portrayed that way. Because elves, of course, elves are refined. They're refined, elegant, or they're even going from elves fancy. to orcs. Having orcs play more like Mongols, where they're fucking mounted combat, ranged <laughs> weapons, which would make a ton of sense since orcs are intelligent. Yeah, and they're nomadic. They're intelligent, nomadic. Yeah, playing orcs like the Golden Horde would be a great way to really scare the shit out of your players. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and they would do it too. Like intelligence is a. St- Everyone looks at intelligence on the stat sheet and it goes, "Oh, it's got a twelve intelligence. Cool," and they don't give it any further thought. That's a hundred and twenty IQ. Approximately given, yes. Given the approximate translation. That's pretty brilliant. Orcs average, I believe, about a 90 IQ, according to the way the D&D rules and all that wibbly-nibbly shit go. So, mounted horse archers. Is well within their purview. And what's the base class for orcs? Barbarian. It makes sense. Or even from there, you know, I'm I'm dealing with an airship with my group, so you know what would be fucking badass? A warren of goblins who have just made their living on an airship. And they just keep it going. It is ramshackle as fuck. And they're basically sky pirates. So, Starfinder ones. Because that's what they sound like. Yeah, basically. That, that's the inspiration. <laughs> and there. in old D&D, we called them Scrow. Mm-hmm. Yes. But, but you know, most people are like, oh, we find a war in the goblins. We slaughter all of them. Ah, oh, the joys of moral quandaries. Uh, I'm never going to stop thinking about that. That was such a great day. You asked for an idea, I gave you one. And even beyond that, you know, you go into all kinds of other things, how to play different groups of humans. Maybe these humans are, you know, they're the bad guys and God knows what they're fucking doing because they're always seen as the most malleable of the species. Humans are the most malleable. I just, again, I like to shake that up. Well, I did that with, uh, uh, sorry to interrupt, but I did that once with a uh, river town. Mm -hmm. All the villagers lived on the river. That way, if shit got bad... They would pull up tin stakes, roll in their bridges and shit, and just float up or down river and relocate their entire village. Yeah, and <clears throat> that's a really clever thing. And that's the thing. Intelligent creatures are going to find some really neato, clever, unorthodox methodology to survive. Intelligence is a tool. Everything uses it to varying degrees. Well... <laughs> to varying degrees... We'll, we'll give it that, because, you know, you can be brilliant and Sorry, still I was, dumb I, as shit. I was about to get political there. <laughs> yeah, that, no, wrong podcast. I know. I but, know. you know. Hmm, wow, you know, they, they almost equal what's on the thermostat. Like a hundred million billion COVID cases, or whatever the whatever. fuck he said. 
Uh, but anyway, politics begun. Politics begun. This is gaming, and any creature that is intelligent will find a clever way to adapt to its world or make the world adapt to it. And I think the case example of this is what we were talking about earlier, and probably one of the most frightening and terrifying and oh my god, horror bad uh, monsters to encounter in between levels one to five is kobolds. Mm-hmm. Because yep. they adapt everything to suit their needs. And like you said earlier, Kazakhan, they're small, they're squishy. All they have is numbers. So they use it. So and they they're smart it. about it. Like, yeah. they will get under your feet, trip you up, launch you on the ground, stab, 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 and you're just a meat sock. And traps aplenty, even those that can't be disarmed because they have to be triggered by a kobold triggering the trap. Right, uh, manual trigger traps are just as effective as auto triggers. And, of course, uh, a kobold horn is just built to be defendable as fuck. So characters trying to break in, They're gonna trying to go bad. down through a hallway filled with murder holes and kobolds with bows and arrows on the other side of those holes is... It's boss nat. Ah, you know what, I'm just going to go back to the merchant and tell him to keep that reward. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and, like, that's the thing, is kobolds are renowned trap makers. Plenty of ways that, you know, now you've got villains. You know, I heard these kobold dudes are great at making traps. Would you guys want to move your tribe into a place I provide, and then you just set up traps and live there? Well, it's like, also, with kobolds, you can uh, ramp it up even worse. Say, you know, near the higher end, when kobolds start being phased out as a credible uh, threat in one-to-one combat by the way the D&D rules work, is you can start throwing templates on them, say, half-dragon. Oh, yeah. Half and then dragon. you have kobold berserkers. Mm-hmm. You know, so once you start getting past all the, the squishy kobolds, and you're like, oh, we bypassed our traps and stuff, three kobolds come out and start breathing breath weapons at you and are stronger and larger than the other kobolds. And it's like, shit, the game just got harder because we don't know what they've got because they look just the same as other kobolds because these half-dragon kobolds are not color-coded. And secondarily, <laughs> they're already dragon-descended, so it's not like there's much that they're getting in terms of... Yeah. visual representation of that template. Yeah, they're already dragonkin, so it basically just steps them up one it's step higher on the fucking... Uh, totem pole. Yeah, totem pole. <laughs> you were struggling for words there. No, I was thinking hierarchy, but... That totem, works too. Yeah. Totem pole works. And, you know, here's the third. Mm. In a dragon's lair, kobolds can sometimes be used as fodder and minions for dragons. Who'd have fucking thunk? Who'd have thunk? So... Dragons, intelligent creatures, in fact, some might say brilliant, depending on their age. Again, subject to change, but they're smart enough to understand, well, these little shits are annoying, but they do stuff for me because I ask, or tell, or yell, doesn't really matter, and they make traps, so I don't have to worry as much about defending my horde. Sounds like a good deal to me. It is. It is a great deal. Or, you know what another fun race to mess around with is? Mm. Giants. Ooh, yeah. Because everyone always does frost giants as basically... Fee-fi-fi. uh fucking frost giants. Oh, the Jotun? Yeah. Yeah, the Jotun-blooded. You can completely change a bunch of that up, man. Like, what if these giants come through on fucking skis, dude? Oh, oh, yeah. That would be dastardly. And brilliant. Like, coming by at full fucking tilt just to you... mollywop you with a fucking cane. <laughs> and 
it would work. Like, especially with Frost Giants as this particular example, they're already capable of just making a, making an ice path to skate down. Well, I mean, just imagine what would happen if you had a couple of giants decide to start building pit traps. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, giant-sized pit traps. Giant-sized pit traps, you know, basically trapdoor spider giants. They've got boulder tossing. The moment you fall in, they just throw a boulder on top and wait for you to die before fishing the food out a week later. I mean, yeah. we got you you're know, dead half, by, a, by half a dozen of them it just started around. It's easier for you to store because you're already dehydrated and desiccated. Exactly. And it's fridge, as a fringe benefit, it's chilled because now it's protected from the sun. Or imagine uh, if uh, giants built traps as similar to smaller races did. Oh dear God! A falling rock trap would be devastating. A to giant everything. Now, here uh, I'm going to spook everyone here. All right, go for it. A kobold tribe and a giant tribe. At the very least, trading trap-making tra techniques. Nothing else about that relationship. But now, we've got kobolds, who are already ridiculous trap-makers, playing with shit on giant-sized scale as well. And giants with kobold traps. Giant. How fucking mortifying would that be? See, like, so you get a giant who's got these big-ass oven mitts on, and they've already got uh, boulder throwing as pretty much their giant skill in any case. So they just got strength. Why so not? So they just, just grab cauldrons of boiling oil and throw it at the party. Oh yeah, or that would suck ass. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Not only do you get hit with flaming hot oil, but you also get a like. A giant cast a 75 iron. 75-pound cast iron pot bouncing off your head. Bing! <laughs> <laughs> Depending on, like, if they manage to create one that's designed to fragment, you can do even more crazy shit with it. So, as you guys know, and I'm going to segue into another thing here um, for variants. Mm. As you guys know, and our listeners might know by now, my favorite variant to pull into a game is, of course, Aberration. Aberration is the most... Wibbly nibbly thing that I can pull in because I can pull in rats that have like two heads or rats that communicate through psionics. There's a, as you guys know, there was a uh, game I ran. All the elves had the same uh, aberration template, so they all had a hive mind, which made combat more interesting because the elves adapted to combat turn by turn quicker. And you know, secondarily, they were also eldritch shit, which was secondarily. its own its level own shit. of fuckedness. Uh, every variant though uh, that I include. Uh, for aberration, though, is sick and twisted because, again, it's one of those things where when you guys saw the elves, it was the second battle you fought them that the elves had a new ability. Yeah. That threw you guys off because the third time you guys encountered elves, you were like, oh, God, what are they going to have? <laughs> are, they, are we going to deal with porcupine ones? Are we going to deal with ones that shoot their intestines out and try to strangle us? Are, are, are we going to deal with ones that just try and burrow under and just, like, yeah. snapdragon that shit? Are, are, we try, are, are we dealing with hive minders? Are we dealing with the ones that were uh, in that one battle where they always moved in for a pincer attack to get that flanking bonus every fucking turn? Oh, you guys didn't know, and it kept you guys terrified. Yeah. And that's the point of uh, versatile uh, monsters. And why a GM like me, you, or Blasphemous over here should always think slightly outside the bun. Or, even if it's just laterally, like moving things over a little bit, right? Again, we use the example of the forest elves. We've, we brought up burrowers, we brought up berserkers, we brought up uh, aberrations. Mm-hmm, exactly. Just three rattled off sideways thinking 
it subverts expectations. Yeah, doing it by the book uh, gets boring. Like uh, a staple, uh, it's kind of like a, a crucible every character has to go through to like verify that they are a real D and D character. At some point, you have to fight a troll. At some point, you're not a real adventurer until you've fought a troll. Because goddamn it, getting past regeneration or quick healing or whatever they call it now is a pain in the ass. <clears throat> Even if you are prepared for it, it's a pain in the ass. Yep. To bring out a variant troll that has a template on it or its abilities are skewed slightly changes the entire course of combat entirely. And I think the most important thing, though, uh, as a GM should remember, is balancing that uh, monster for your party. So if I give it quick healing 10, I'm going to have to take something away. Yeah. With every positive, there is a negative, right? And sometimes you got to take away more than one thing. Yes. True. Yes, exactly. Um, Can you imagine? Okay, here we go. Here we go. Oh, I got it. I got it. Ooh, all right. I got it. Goblins. Ooh. Everybody's favorite punching bag, unfortunately. Goblin uh, lives matter. <laughs> yeah, shut up, you whore-mongering fuckwit. Now, <laughs> goblins, here we go. Pygmy trolls. Mm-hmm. The group walks in, they find the Goblin Warren. So they decide they're going to go in and start kicking the shit out of the goblins, but it just turns out that it's just a shitload of trolls with dwarfism. <laughs> that, that's a weird thing to picture. Isn't it? So they, they mistake a bunch, because they look similar. Right? Yeah, so it's easy for the player just to go, oh, well, they're just a bunch of goblins because they're talking similar. And the only real thing that would clue uh, a player in is the fact that trolls by default speak giant as a language and goblins speak gobbly. Mm-hmm. So they walk in and if none of the players have goblin as a language, it's just they're speaking a weird tongue. Or giant. Yeah. Or giant. Either of those would tip it off. Either of those would tip it off, but if they don't get that tip off, the players would just rush in. And now they're fighting like three or four goblins that all have fast healing five. And, ex- and of course you'd have to do some like... Uh, jiggering. You'd have to do some jiggering. I would say using the young template would actually be appropriate. Yeah, that would make sense. The young template would reduce our strength and endurance and stuff. Yeah, yeah, but, that would do it. So basically, you'd have that mid-tier, you know, like, super goblins. They're like trolls that just have dwarfism. I think that would be a really fucked up variant to throw at my group. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it would. It would. And that's that's sort of, like, that's part of our job as a GM, right? As a storyteller... Our job is to make the world real, at least real enough, right? And part of that is making the danger feel real, making the unknown something to be concerned with. See, that's something I get from my players all the time, is they say they like the challenge. And it's really hard sometimes because you're like, all right... These guys are a bunch of level X, but they want a challenge, but they're overpowered comparatively. So I'm going to throw this at them, and it's a bunch of bullets that have, uh, I don't know, fucking a breath weapon. Ugh. That's kind of terrifying on its own, right? Ah, uh, yep. That was one of the first builds I did. It's a clay uh, golem that can shapeshift. Yeah, we saw that. Well, that's pretty cool. That's a, that's actually an interesting variant for a golem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a morphic golem, something that 
not necessarily Transformer style, but something that can just alter its it, own it shape. It sounds like an ooze golem, uh, but still, I mean, a, a clay golem mm-hmm. that can shapeshift would be really interesting, especially if it starts going all Terminator on the group. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I would assume it can make weapons out of its own body parts. Yeah. Yeah? That would make um, sense. One of my favorites is one I found online, which was a third party. You guys know this especially. It's the Shadow Spider Dragon. Looks like a black dragon, but instead of the horns, they're more like giant spider mandibles. And Ugh. its breath weapon is a fog of spores that, unless you make the save, burrow into your skin, and then on your next turn, 1d6 spiders burst out of your skin, dealing that much damage. And these Rapid spiders incubation. are big. You know what? You need to unleash that on Thoric. I did! Nice. <laughs> nice. Nice. But uh, uh, Narcissus was the one who went, I turn into form of a fire god. Uh, player the, bullshit. The thing survived. Um, so I totally could have pulled it out on them again, but I, I pulled back on that. But yeah, it was just, it's one of those fun variants where you can think, all right, what am I going to do? I'm going to take a dragon and mix it with uh, a fucking genie. Or there's always the classic variant of variations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've done this many a times to great effectiveness. And there's actually like web comics now that point this out. Is the players go into the dungeon or adventure zone or wherever they're going. They go into Warrens. They clear out all the locals. They find the treasure chest and they find all this useful shit. But. But. The locals weren't wearing any of it or utilizing any of it. This makes no fucking sense. Why? Uh, it's kind of like, you know, if somebody were to break into my house and I defend my home with a butcher knife. You know, I just grab a knife out of the kitchen and go to the stabby stab them. There's, I mean, if you're. If, there's yeah. some better weapons sitting just right over there. Just right, right over there. Why don't I just grab one of those better weapons, right? <laughs> so it makes no sense. Well, not just my bo- oh my boomsticks and a few other things. I've got better artillery to deal with a problem, or I've got more intimidating, cutty, pokey, stabby things than a kitchen knife. <laughs> I have stuff that's actually made for fighting and then won't break like a kitchen knife or hurt me. You're not gonna reach for the umbrella. You're gonna reach for the baseball bat. I know exactly where that is now. Oh, good. Yeah, the one that's designed for ripping skin off. Ah. I, I found it the other week. Um, nice. Too what much. was it called again, Chloe? No, Mr. Rippy. Mr. Rippy. Mr. Rippy. I found Mr. Rippy. <laughs> uh, he is currently residing right where I left him, but he was missing for a while because I have too much shit. But yes, I found Mr. Rippy. The point is, why are the locals not utilizing all this useful shit? Some cases it makes sense. Like again, if there's like a goblin warren or kobolds. Yeah. If they're if they have a bunch of useful useful shit size for medium and large creatures, there's no fucking way yeah. they're going to be able to. Like, oh, that magical that plus one breastplate will just look goofy on a kobold. Unless it's you size... stack like two of them yeah, front it... to back, yeah. which Unless could also get... be kind of an interesting thing. Just two kobolds sharing a breastplate back to back. Yeah, or you got a kobold who's like super strong up. and he can actually like hold himself up on it while walking around on stilts. You know? <laughs> oh wait, you take that. Uh... <laughs> D&D 5e thing for goblins where they can stack. Oh, God. So you just have one in the middle holding a breastplate like a fucking shield. You have one on top of his shoulders that uses the crossbow, and you've got the one on the bottom that just so happens to be really good at running. 
<laughs> exactly. Uh, but still, the point is they don't use this shit. And so I've done it in dungeons where I'll like I'll draw out the loot table, <clears throat> and if I random roll the loot table, then I'll sign the loot uh, in accordance to where it'll be most effective in the dungeon. And then throw all the rest in the chest because it's not useful for the denizens of that dungeon. If I'm tailor crafting the dungeon from beginning to end, you know, like a theme dungeon, and the theme of the dungeon, say, is gold. Well, most of the monsters they're fighting is going to be gold or things that spray gold. There's a gold dragon at the end and all sorts of golden things. Mm, really ham into that theme. Really hamming into that theme. You know, like, most of the creatures use, like, say, glitter dust wands. I won't put a pile of glitter dust wands in the chest at the end. The monsters will have them. Yeah. And, like, I did this one time. Uh, my group still probably fucking hates me for it. There's probably still <laughs> legends of them, like, stabbing effigies of my body in doll form at a kitchen table somewhere. But I unleashed a flesh golem on the party. Ah, oh, that one. I've heard this story. Yes. I like it. And I dressed the flesh golem up in the treasure itself. And there's only one item, and since there was some money left over in the random roll table, I just, like, made up an item just to throw on the flesh golem to make it all the worse. And so when they get to the bridge and fight the golem, it just would not fucking die. The combat went so long, even I got bored. <laughs> and it really does change the dynamic of combat immensely. If you allow the denizens to actually use the treasure that they have. Like, dragons have all sorts of neat a treasure. Plus, they can uh, flesh form, body morph stuff into a humanoid form. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, clever dragons will use their wing fingers yeah. for, like, wands and shit. So now they've got all four claws, claw, or bite, tail, wing slap, and wands. Because well, uh, fuck you. If a dragon can polymorph itself into a human, and it's already got natural abilities to cast spells, why does it not wear that robe of the Ark Magi it's got sitting in the corner? Because if it does, chances are it will live longer. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, there is something to be said for just having treasure to look at it, which dragons are something somewhat known for. It's not Always a high point. For. It's not a high point, shall we say. So some of them, you You're know, supposed to worship your shinies, not collect them. Yeah. Goblin power. <laughs> but at the same token... Some of them will have no use for them, right? And that's exactly the same sort of argument. It's not something that's useful. That fancy silk dress? Well, it looks pretty, and you can sell it for a lot, but that's all it does. Well, let's say there's a portable hole in the treasure chest, right? You've random rolled all your stuff. You find a portable hole. It's in the treasure loot. Why put it in the chest when you can just put it in the hallway? Yeah. You know, you've already got your dungeon all laid out and stuff, and there's this one dimly lit hallway with a trap. Put the portable hole over the trap. So that or, way the party will go, oh, there's a portable hole on the floor after somebody falls in. They fish out the player. They pick up the portable hole. Boom. They've got their treasure, but nobody has... They've been distracted from actually checking for a trap in that square. And then they then they take a step forward. Slam! And then they take a step forward, crushing block. Bam! <laughs> Surprise! You've just made your dungeon more fun. And scarier. And scarier by just going, you know, a variant rule in my game now is treasure will be used by enemies that can use it. There you go. And that's... That's something that people need to remember, especially about intelligent monsters, right? We've done episodes on playing your villain intelligently, and 
you know, making things interesting on that sort of scale, but cunning little misshit? Goblins, kobolds, pygmies, all of that shit, they're cunning little motherfuckers. They know that they're small, they know that they lose on a straight strength-to-strength basis. So they have other ways to deal with it. Swarm tactics typically among them. Because if you can't... If you if I can't you know go one on one with you, I'm gonna grab four buddies and we're gonna do it, and that'll change the odds in my favor. Exactly, exactly. And if you're doing an adventure and you're doing variants, though, you do have to remember though balancing is an issue. Again, like the dragon example I gave earlier, all I did was swap breath weapon and resistance. All I swapped. Numerically, the numbers were exactly the same otherwise. It's just changing the damage type and visual effects. Exactly. Which, frankly, as a GM, you should be doing anyway, because if it's something that's already balanced like that, you don't have to worry about it. But if you start playing with add ability, subtract ability, add ability, subtract ability, you have to be really careful. That's a fine line. Oh, yeah. It's like the, the race creator rules. If you, you can build two races off, say, 12 points which is about the same as a human. Uh, 12 to 15 points, I believe, is human. And you will wind up with... If two different people can wind up, one could come up with a race that's really cool in concept, super weak sauce in playability, and the other one can come up with the most generic shit available and still be OP. And as, like, again, creativity is king. From your players, from your people, from your, you know, surrounding area and GMs. All of it is important. And that's what keeps combat interesting. That's what keeps the world a living place. Blasmus is being pretty quiet over there. Yeah, Yeah, sorry. It's a comfortable temperature in here, and I've been up since 1 a.m. Ah, yes. Ah, we're falling back into the fall asleep at D&D times. It's like every episode. No, I was good last episode. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, for once. This is just one of those weeks, and it's that summertime lull of heat. Yeah, it's that... Bullshit, heat stuff. Kind of seconded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, we, the heat may be great for AC you. We and we're about 20, se- uh, 20 minutes away from it. Wait. What, we're 20 minutes away? 15 minutes away from turning it back on. All right, so since you're starting to fall asleep, you know what? I'm going to throw something at you. Okay. And I'm going to have Kaz throw something at you. All right. And we're going to see where you go with it. Okay. Okay, so Kaz, set up the dungeon. What, what's the advent party going to go adventure into? Give me terrain type. Is it underground? Is it open air? Is it antique? Is it new wave? What is it? Is it fucking postmodern? A forest ziggurat temple. Alright, I'm thinking Aztec. I'm thinking uh, Mesopotamian, perhaps. Um, Draconic! That sounds fun. Jeez, hmm? fuck. Well, you know what? The Actually, giants. Giants. Oh, giants. That's a big fucking ziggurat. That's a big fucking ziggurat. Or they built it for their tiny supplicants to bring up their offering to them, so it's like a table for them, really. Mm. Could go either way. Could go either way. You know, dinner with a view. Dinner with a view. And inside, it is basically a giant butchery shop where their supplicants had to bring all the creatures from the forest or their enemies from battle to slaughter them and create giant cuisines like, I don't know, uh, fucking, uh, what was it? Prawn cocktail, but with fucking human hearts. I mean, if you got a savage tribe that's willing to go that far and not eat it themselves, 
they for like the glory of battle. True, true. But remember, the Aztecs slaughtered tens of thousands just to create two giant mounds of hearts at the base of the pyramid that were fresh every day. Now yeah. they're doing this to appease their giant storm gods to keep the rains coming regularly. So that their harvests go off for the non-meat things. Alright, so so what we got here now is uh, we're going to do a variant on this. So we're doing a forest ziggurat temple with giants. Storm giants. Storm giants, okay. So the players are arriving. Here I come. Blah, 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 blah. I see storm giants. Now how are you going to switch up the storm giants? I've got the scene set, mm. set now, okay? My players are now seeing blood all over the place. Giant ziggurat. And Aztec-themed storm giants sacrificing shitloads of things. The well, blood, the human sacrificing <clears throat> them. Blood for the blood god. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really. How, basically. So now that we're clued in on the... The surrounding <clears throat> environment. The surrounding environment. We are totally clued in that this, as heroes, needs to fucking stop. Mm-hmm. Right? You're, yeah, that is a lot of You're sacrificing a lot of people to your uh, dirt-worshipping... kidnapping neighboring villages <clears throat> yeah. and shit. Totally Aztecing it up. So, how are you going to switch up these storm giants... With a variant in such a way that will take my group off guard. So when most people think of storm giants, a lot of times like, oh, they summon wind storms and tornadoes. Nah, not these motherfuckers. They will drown your ass in rain, torrential downpours. You want to use your fly spell, wizard? <laughs> Lol. Fly check. Oh, you can't make a thirty-five. Fuck you. Now you change it up by instead of going for the common attacks. You start going for the other stuff. Don't they have that ability to uh, harden clouds and stuff? I was actually just thinking um, what would really make that encounter interesting is if you threw a few um, ice mages into the mix. Mm -hmm. So when they do summon a massive storm, like somebody's going to be flying around. I don't know about you, but I've been in hail-sized golf ball Mm -hmm. storm fucking hail. That shit. That shit sucks. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, the wizard trying to fly spell while... Basically, balls of ice are flying around in the sky that are the size of golf balls. Would or bigger. Or bigger. Hey, you know what? This is giants we're talking about. They're probably the size of, you know, softballs, dodgeballs. Yeah, so imagine throwing in a couple of frost mages and maybe a lightning mage in the mix. I think that would really make the party second guess uh, mm. wanting to come here. Well, yeah, and then going on to my second thing, that whole thing where they have the ability to harden clouds, wasn't it? Where they basically have the same thing as silver dragons. Um, not familiar with silver dragons except for clothing. Okay. Um. So basically, they can turn clouds and fogs hard as stone. Uh, um, silver dragons tend to build their lairs on clouds. Yeah, and they're they can walk on them like it's a stone structure. Well, so now but... you've got these giant tomahawks that you think are just puffs of cloud flying at you, but they hit like a fucking brick shit house. Well, one thing is for certain. There are no silver dragons in Australia because clouds haven't been invented down there yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Still, like, that was a really good way to subvert things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, another cool way would have been instead of, say, an ice mage, you flip it on its head and you get fire mages, neither dealing with scalding rain, which would also throw them for a loop. That would be some very high level fire magic, though. Extremely high. At that point, you might as well just pull out the uh, Book of Vile Darkness and have somebody do Dance of Ruin. Mm. (laughs) Oh, that would suck. Everything within 10 miles is now hit with a scalding rain of acid that does 1d4 per turn for two days. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that would do it. But the same token, you know, 
instead of like raindrops, you're dealing with steam. And steam magic is its own thing that's all kind of scary. Well, see, you can even change it from there where instead they're they're causing rain to fall in specific areas. Like they're making sure it covers all the greenery, but they're making sure the torrent falls into these giant catch basins. Now you've got these guys doing high-level fire magic, super heating that, and you've basically got water guns shooting scalding liquid at the party. You know, well, actually, actually needing terribly much in the way of high-level fire spots. Yeah, well, that actually was really interesting. And, and a giant ziggurat like this would actually be kind of fucked up uh, to do the internal structure of it. I'm, I'm minecrafting here a mm -hmm. little bit, but... The ziggurat itself is nothing more than a giant high-tech oven. Yep. <laughs> and so, like, the giants who are doing the sacrifices and everything and building these uh, big-ass banquets are basically just industrialized cooking mm -hmm. uh, in a D&D &D form. So when the players go into the dungeon itself with all of these steam jets and, uh, I dare put in quotation marks, traps, because mm. they're not really traps. They're but basically they're... fighting their way through a giant oven that's built to cook anything to put through it. Yep. <laughs> so the entire dungeon is not really a dungeon. You're just in the guts of a... a Big-ass stove. A giant food processor. A, a giant food processor, basically. You know, the, the giants just throw shit inside, press a few buttons, and, you know... Half an hour later, a fucking lasagna pops out the other side. The players don't realize this. Oh, yeah. That would be hilarious. And mortifying, <laughs> especially when you consider the fact that it's going to look like a slaughterhouse in there. Yeah, especially like, you know, like one of the traps goes off and suddenly the rogue's skin gets peeled off and he gets turned into hamburger. And you see him get ground up and thrown into a meat pie and baked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there goes the rogue. See, this is Anybody the hungry? shit I can do on the fly like that. Yeah. Because my mind is always seeing how to make these. I've written three different dungeon runs in the past week, and they're each only about two pages long. Sometimes that's all you need, though. Yeah. But another interesting way is how do you play these out? You got you got to plan out how long you expect it to last against your players, and how to make them act. So if you're completely subverting, like you're like, oh, these kobolds, while well, they have this giant stash of fucking magic wands and potions. So first turn blast, second turn chug, third turn rage. You know, having something like that for how your subversion of ac expectations subversion. switches into action. Uh, well, for me, I'm more of a responsive GM than I am a uh, proactive GM when it comes mm -hmm. to that. And I will watch my players over the course of many games, and some of them... Um, I won't mention any names like Narciss, are extremely predictable in how they approach combat. They're very formulaic. They and so when I want to say they go Super Saiyan, but they swear they're not. Exactly. And then they do the big punch and then you go, ha, reversal. Now this same thing gets mirrored by someone who has a mimicry ability. Well, remember 13, when you guys oh, yeah. fought that. It was way out of there, and it threw chaos into the mix hardcore, because every time you killed one of them... They morphed. Everything morphed, and, and the battlefield completely changed by the new ability that they were granted. Almost like every round. Almost every round. Well, I still love the opening salvo of that battle. Yeah. Well, yeah. I knew the opening salvo would take out one of them, maybe. I didn't expect that many to like power them up that quickly but <laughs> what I'm saying though is if you, I want to throw something into the mix that will buck the curve is I will see how my uh, group normally responds to a threat and counter that with something that's unusual mm -hmm. like say um, you guys uh, go into an 
if I did this in one particular encounter, it would have changed everything when I threw a certain monster at you guys and you actually teamwork. Oh, the div fight. Yes. The div fight. But what if that div was filled with a shit ton of brine eggs that were filled with tiny carnivorous larvae? Right? Yeah. And so you run up and you pop that fucker and he just explodes and now there's like a swarm of ick. Of ick all over the place, and it starts eating into your skin. Mm. No con checks, because it's actually a swarm, so you got to deal with the swarm now covering your body of tiny carnivorous larvae that are baby div. Mm-hmm. You know That would have changed the, the combat entirely, so if I throw something like this in the mix, the unexpected, you kill the zombie, the zombie explodes, but guess what? That zombie just exploded, and all zombies just like this when they threw at you... Every time one of it explodes, you've got to make a con check if you're within a certain radius of it because it's basically infecting you with the zombie virus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, rotting flesh is also nasty. And rotting flesh is also nasty. If I throw some small thing in there that throws in a dice roll that threatens something on the player's character sheet, they will freak out. Or if you switch it so that everything does, you know, stat damage. Or, yeah, stat damage, people, that will instantly change the tide of combat. That's oh, yeah. when shit gets real. That's the instant aggro. Well, didn't you have a story where... Oh, uh, yes, where he uh, he had to pull his Saiyan button out. I did not want to fucking do that. <laughs> but hey, what kind of hags were they? Uh, they were hags. I don't remember the exact uh, kind of hags, because all I know is the one that was leading the other two needed to fucking die. And so it happened. I was playing a strength build druid, uh, built for combat. And I could do six attacks per turn between me and my animal companion. And I, I had a battle plan all laid out for maximum effectiveness. And I even rolled low on damage, like below average. And in my first turn when I got initiative, I did 141 points of damage at level seven. Mm-hmm. To a single target. To a single target. I did not want to do that, but that hag did strength damage to the fighter. Oh, no. Oh, no. I realized no. it was strength damage, and I'm a strength build. That bitch had to go. <laughs> <laughs> Priority target. Fuck the rest of this shit. That's every, going down first. That was the boss. Mm-hmm. I, I basically just ran up and one-shotted the boss, and the GMs just look at me like, the fuck? And I was like, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to have to do this. Yeah. I didn't want to have to do this. Um, again, though, this is, if the GM was clever about it, because he was... Just as surprised as everybody else at the table that I had gone full Super Saiyan. Didn't want to. I was just like, I don't want a power game. I'm here for the story. I just built this character so I can keep up with you guys. Okay. Um, and now it's showing. However, the uh, the GM, if he was clever, and this was just a total mistake, if we had gone through several sessions and I was just mollywopping everything and he actually like paid attention to my character sheet and the way I'm fighting... And realize I'm a strength build, and that's my Achilles heel. Is once that goes, gets lowered, I die. This is the same shit I would do as a GM if I realized Kazarkan's playing a strength build, and if his strength gets lowered, he's fucked. So I do strength damage on him. That changes the entire thing of combat. He will now panic and start asking you guys for help. Oh yeah, yeah, a lot. I know I surprised you when I when I pulled out that div teamwork thing. Well, I know I caught you off guard because you said so. That it was, was all of you guys working in tandem to defeat a boss together instead of all like, I do this attack because it's my turn. No, I'm like, no, set this up. 
Bam! Tag! I'm gonna forfeit my immediate damage for all you motherfuckers to do more. Go ham! Yeah, and everybody did. Everybody was either supporting or prepping to support somebody. Everybody was teamworking, which is why you defeated that div so fucking soundly. <laughs> that was a resounding teamwork, and it was awesome. I was expecting combat more like in the old Rifts games that I used to play, where the GM would throw out a bunch of different creatures and shit for the group to fight, and, and everybody would, would just off. basically pair off in 1v1 the different creatures. Mm -hmm. I was expecting something more like that. Like, everybody would just be like, well, I've got this ability, I'm going to run up and use it, while leaving everybody else behind to do whatever it is they do. Which is where yeah. my teamwork feat I created for the group really comes in handy, where... They can all just declare, all right, I'm going to work with this single person taking their next turn on my turn, and we're going to go and combo mollywop this one target. Because fuck that guy. Yeah, because I couldn't find anything in the teamwork feats allowing that, so I called it tandem assault, and they can do it limitedly, and you can't just keep chaining it. You, you can do it once every D4 round. I can chain anything. And then the next person, since they already use their turn, they can use it the next time they get a turn. And it, it takes them out of the next go of, uh, of, of initiative. Of initiative. My wizards yeah. are so badass, I don't need teamwork, because I will shove my foot so far up the enemy's ass, they will be flossing their teeth with my laces. <laughs> Just don't ask me to play a rogue. I suck. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, I'm going to have you play a range rogue. Range Rogue is actually doable. Yeah. Range Rogue is... With a level or two of fighter. Oh, that would be tough. No, it's super easy. I just... Ah. Uh, I, I don't do non-caster classes very well. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're I, like me, then. Once I figured out how casters work, because they blew my mind in 2nd edition. Casters just... Uh, why would I want to play one? So I always went for the melee classes. Oh, beat stick. Beat stick simple. I always, I always went for beat stick or rogue... And I was fair at it, but once, like, the gears in my head clicked into place and I realized the power of a caster... Mm -hmm. It was over. I didn't look back, dude. It was just like, fifth gear, full throttle, let's do this shit, go! You found your kink. I found my kink. <laughs> I was like, you play your trip monkey all you want. I just need a magic wand and some spare time. See, I live life in hard mode, so I'm always wanting to do one of those hybrid half-caster, half you know, fighter deals. I want to challenge myself one of these days by playing an adept. Oh, jeez. An NPC class. Just to see <laughs> if I can do shit with that limited playability. <laughs> I think we're getting off topic. We are, because it well, is time for us to go for this week. We are done. Yep. yep. Let's say final thoughts. Spice out combat. Uh, one way to do it is the very theatric cinematic view. So even just basic bitch combat can feel exciting or the other way which is what we've been talking about this whole episode is make your enemies smarter play with their strengths and play with their surroundings and abilities subvert expectations i would say look at the way your players respond to different fights uh, if they are more prone to uh, be responding to uh, melee combat over magical combat or vice versa uh, if you want to make combat more fun for them, find out what's uh, really roping them into the combat game and adjust your NPCs and your monsters to more tailor to your group. 
They'll have more fun, especially if they have a lot of fun fighting, say, different variants of zombies or skeletons, or if they're more fun with aberrations. If they enjoy the, the weird, strangely creepiness of it, you know, tailor your fights more towards what your group wants, and they're going to have more fun and be more engaged in combat, uh, especially if you can keep it fresh. And they're always uh, on the edge of, you know, being excited for the next combat because they don't know what's going to happen. And not wanting the next combat because you never know what's going to happen. And not wanting, yeah, yeah, that that titillation of going, well, it could be cool or it could suck again. But either way, we're in for something new. Because uh, what it does is it gives players something that is something familiar with a touch of something new, not completely new. Because if you revamp everything and just turn it on its head, players will call into question the rule set and you're in for a fucking uphill fight. And that's all I got on that. Yeah, my final thoughts is don't be afraid to pick a theme and just roll with it because sometimes that is what you need in order to change it, uh, you know, to change it up a bit. Instead of going, oh, this is all medieval, you go, all right, you know, fuck this, we're we're new worlding this. Now, nah, you know, we're going to go and visit the Silk Road. We're going to go into the darkest heart of Africa this go round. And just pick a theme and roll with it and see where it takes you. This D&D game is starting on a sky block. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be horrifying. It would suck. Darth Blasphemous signing off. Kazakhan, back to the skies. Game Goblin climbing back into my crypt. Alright, go with me on this. It's like Jar Jar Binks, but she's all the Jedi.